Hello and good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, on today's show, we got John Taylor of Fangraphs.com to talk about all things Major League Baseball, as he does at this time on this very feed. Oh yeah, John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. Go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you've not already done so. On today's edition, uh, we talk about the Padres being in on Matt Olson, uh, some post-lockout trade candidates for 27 regulars uh, coming from MLBTradeRumors.com, the growing belief uh, that Freddie Freeman is uh, going elsewhere when baseball presumably returns, Uh, really interesting Brandon Marsh blog on Fangraphs.com, and then our 2021 uh, Los Angeles Angels season review. Uh, Plus... Oh, yeah, we're not done. We got James Ham on the Kings beat. Uh, go subscribe there. Even if you're not a Kings fan, you want to be up to date on what's going on with them with DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox down the stretch here as they make a playoff run. Go keep up with James, their podcast, and all the great work he's doing uh, over there. Um, but yeah, James, we talk all things Sacramento Kings, the Marvin Bagley trade, why it didn't work out in Sacramento, Buddy Heald and Halliburton going to Indiana, why uh, DeMontis Sabonis uh, makes a lot of sense for Sacramento, um, Vivek Ranadive, the owner, his role still within the team in the day-to-day operations, Money McNair's strategy to this point, Harrison Barnes and why he's such a great player to have in the locker room, on the court, all that good stuff and then what uh, should happen with the kings down the stretch here so we hit on all of that on this particular edition of the chase thomas podcast the wednesday february 23rd edition um don't forget folks you can also watch this podcast so yeah if you just type in youtube.com type in the chase thomas podcast you'll find me uh hit that subscribe button like uh thumbs up share it out uh, help us get this show off the ground on YouTube um, if you'd rather watch this show than just listen to it. Um, also, make sure to go check out ChaseTomasPodcast.com where you can get access to all of my previous episodes. Subscribe to the Sports Renaissance Man at SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. Type your email. That simple. Do it today. And then, uh, yeah. All right. Oh, also, email me uh, with any uh, MLB questions for John and myself. Uh, any King stuff you have in the future for James, anything like that, or any questions about the show, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com is the way to reach me. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. <laughs> this is amazing. I love starting the podcast this way. Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball edition here at the Chase Thomas Podcast, where if you're watching on YouTube, which you can find on the Chase Thomas Podcast on YouTube, John Taylor is currently trying to lift his crew neck sweatshirt. That is super cool and shows Shohei Otani in uh, his rookie year uh, glory over here. That is a killer sweatshirt. I love that. Thanks. It's uh, I got it random. I got it from someone who went to an Angels game where they were handing it out. Mm hmm. Very big. They were handing out a crew neck? What's that? They were handing out crew necks? Yeah, and this thing is like enormous. Like it's like, Uh it's probably an extra large. I usually wear a medium, so this thing is Mm -hmm. hanging off me. But I figured since we're talking angels. Uh huh. I also uh, I keep, forgetting, I keep forgetting I'm mirrored, so I keep moving the wrong direction. <laughs> so no, we're I'm never gonna do it the right way. We're we're inextricably inextricably linked in that regard. Uh, that's never gonna happen. Because John, without looking, which side do you think New York is behind you? The skyline. Go. You did it. Okay, I knew it was on my left. Mm-hmm. I managed to you, remember that enough. 
Well, then it looks like we've got an 8-bit Florida Marlins hat. Is that what we're mm-hmm. looking at up top? 8-bit okay. Florida Marlins, courtesy of the good folks at Hat Club. Why did they change their logo, man? Like that logo know. was the, the so old, good. As we as we all realized too late, the old Marlins logo was actually very good. Did people not like it at the time? I don't know. I, I think it just maybe maybe there was like a corniness vibe to the, the teal and the stripes and everything. But then in retrospect, it's like, no, compared to what we have now, those are actually pretty good. Yeah, I didn't think it was bad. And I thought the teal, like the teal and the black pinstripes, actually, I didn't know that people actually didn't feel that way. I love the Florida Marlins old look. Yeah. Um, the Miami Marlins is not great. I mean, they made progress from what they originally did. Like the original orange and stuff was not great. I yeah, mean, the, this, the, the one mm-hmm. I the one I always disliked was the the reboot they did when they had their big Hanley Ramirez, Josh Johnson, Heath Bell, mm-hmm. Ozzie Guillen moment. Um, those, How those long ago is that now? That's a good solid 10 years at this point. Has it been 10 years? John, we're getting old. Like we're, we're getting, getting old. We are, we're, we're all getting old. I had a moment with something I, I can't even remember what when I learned that something came out when I was in that came out 15 years ago and I had a moment where I was like, that can't be right because that would have been that was like I would have been like 20 at the time and that wasn't 15. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, we're time all, comes we're for us all. Um, time does come for us all. Speaking of the Marlins, though, so I was at uh, I watched a lot of baseball in person this weekend, John, Uh, not Major League because there is no Major League Baseball happening as of right now. But um, watch Tennessee Vols this weekend and I've got it. The game from tonight TV yard. uh, So I'll watch that later. But um, yeah, Tennessee, guess who was in attendance, like standing out front around the first base side where I walked by was getting a getting a Diet Coke and uh, turned around and I was like, hmm. And then I realized, oh. This is a Miami Marlins scout because I did a little double take. So I was like, it's a, whenever you see a quarter zip, when it's kind of warm at a sporting event, you're like, that person works and yeah, for some organization. Team. Yeah. Um, and I was like, hmm. And then he had this amazing notepad. Like he had this binder, but he also had the notepad in the binder and he had a bunch of notes that he'd been scribbling. So I was curious who he was watching because I don't think he was watching anyone at Georgia Southern. So I wanted to stop him, but I was like, I feel like this is not the, I shouldn't do this. Like I got to resist the impulse to like stand, just saddle up next to him and just be like, Chase Thomas, I know you, you're probably familiar from the Chase Thomas podcast. So um, I wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain. Who are you watching? What are you seeing here? Because you know what I'm seeing? A bunch of Tennessee dingers, Tennessee dingers, 20 plus runs while I was in attendance on Saturday and Sunday, John, it was, it was an absolute delight that I, I just, man, I missed live baseball and I missed just sitting in the stands and just enjoying it. Uh, I'm sorry. Cause you didn't like in New York, you can't do this at the moment, John, but it was delightful. I can report back. Yeah. Not unless I want to go to a Fordham game in like a month or something yeah is it a not month do they not play yet is that a different that no a different and most of the northeast teams spend the first two-ish uh weeks of the season playing as much out of conference and out of the northeast oh, again. Like columbia columbia when they started their season would usually spend a week in florida i didn't know that that makes sense though I yeah because otherwise the weather's the games. bad up here and they'd be there'd be constant cancellation it's like how minor league baseball in april was just in, in april in the northeast is always like rainouts every other day that's interesting. I didn't know that, but that does make sense. Um, well, John, we have some MLB to talk about. Before we get to that, though, you know what it's time for. It's our national pastime. It is time to do today in Major League Baseball history, John. Um, actually, hold on. Where'd it go? I just dropped it. Where'd it go? It didn't paste. Oh, no. 
John, stall for a second. It just disappeared. Oh my goodness. Um, Hold on, I'm pulling it back up. Okay, here we go. It's back. I was about to I was about to launch into like a bit about how it's crazy that all they give you on the airlines is peanuts. I love peanuts though. I'm a big peanut guy. I, I actually don't even, they don't even give you the peanuts now. It's just pretzels because peanut or the they give you the the Biscoff cookies, which are actually really good, but they only give you two. the Biscoff cookies are very good. Um I'm glad you I'm glad we agree on that front. Um but no, I have the national pastime and we're gonna only have to go back one year, John. One year, because do you know what happened? I'm gonna give you let you guess. What do you think happened on today in Major League Baseball just one season ago? It had to be something uh, off the field because it's February 22nd. Yeah, someone got arrested. <laughs> no, not arrested. Murdered? No murders. <laughs> I was like, did I forget about a murder somehow? No murder, John. I'll, I'll just tell you. It had to do with a certain Seattle Mariner president. It's already been a year. Has it been a year already since the Rotary Club incident? Yes, it has, John Taylor. It has oh been yeah, what's his name? Kevin Mather. Out loud. Right, Here you go. That. National pastime. Uh, go to the website. It's a great uh, today in baseball. I love it. But quote: Kevin Mather resigns as the president of the Mariners when the February fifth Zoom video of a meeting with the Rotary Club goes viral. With the team since uh, 1996, he was named uh, president in 2014. The former club uh, official questioned if uh, Hisashi Iwakuma. Uh, Iwakuma um, needed an, an interpreter, commented on the poor English spoken by top prospect Julio Rodriguez, and shared the organization's decision to manipulate service time by not calling up prospects. See, we only remember the last part of it, but it was actually yeah. just uh, a cornucopia of awfulness that this man yeah, unloaded it, it, on the world. It really is telling how the racism became a side story to that, and to the, to the effect that even I didn't remember I remember right. something vaguely about him saying something about a prospect, but the one that stood out most in my mind was the or that it's manipulation that it, of service time yeah right because like i said it was the quiet part out loud um but yeah all of that really is though the quiet part out loud because i'm sure there are plenty of other front office executives across baseball who feel exactly the same way about both the japanese players and their need for interpreters and the spanish and latin players and their uh, ability or inability to speak english they are I would like to think the league is getting better on that stuff. And the fact that teams are now required to have translators is a step forward. Although I remember early on, it seemed like a lot of teams were kind of side side. How, what's the best way? But they're kind of getting around that by having um, some of their coaches who spoke Spanish do some of the interpretation and translating, which is not particularly fair. I remember mm-hmm. that was an issue with Aroldis Chapman when he came to the Cubs and gave some interview where his, the interpreter was Henry Blanco, who was the Cubs, a coach for the Cubs at the time. And the interpretation itself was iffy. And Chapman said something that because the tra- I think it was an interpretation translation issue that came out much worse than I think he intended to make it sound. But either way, it's it's not a surprise that a, that a rich, older executive, rich, older white executive is going to be out there questioning whether or not his players like why can't my players speak English? They ought to speak English, damn it. The other part I, I really that always stressed me about that was that he made these comments to a Rotary Club, and I had <laughs> both completely forgotten that Rotary Clubs existed, and I no way to this day still do not know what they do or what their purpose is. I don't really know either, but everything about them suggests that I would not enjoy being a part of a Rotary Club. I don't yeah, think if, that's if on my. Is, 
if this is the entertainment they get, which is to say mm-hmm. they have a Mariners president calling in to be racist and also pretty stupid, like, it, well, what is the point of that? Like, that's just also that's just sports talk radio. Like, what's yeah. the difference ultimately. Yeah, not for us. Uh, John and Chaser are out on Rotary Club, especially ones in the Seattle area. Sorry, sorry, folks, but it's not gonna not gonna work for us. Um, what white, what might work for the San Diego Padres though, John Taylor, Matt Olson linked to the Texas Rangers a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, this is a two part thing because now Matt Olson's being linked to the Braves as well, because guess what? If you can't give Freddie Freeman that six year, uh, that he so desires on that uh, contract, then you know what you can do if you're a small market team or a mid market team, which the Braves are. You know you can do sell the fan base on the local Atlanta kid. Bring him home, Matt Olson. That's how you. That's how you get around not giving Freddie Freeman that sixty year and just uh, cheapening out on that front. Is you bring Matt Olson in, who's been a really good player for Oakland, not Freddie Freeman's level, but good player. And it seems like he's on the way out. He's not returning to Oakland, but the Padres have done this before. I mean, they did the. They got in the Eric Cosmer sweepstakes. They spent a lot of money. I forgot someone was tweeting it like. Uh, uh, this week about like oh the Padres are a good example of tanking gone right and I'm like that or of uh, of building through the farm and I'm like that's not how the Padres have built the, no I mean what? it is but yeah the, the, this also discounts the fact that they spent 450 million dollars on Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado and exactly like trading a bunch of those prospects afterward for you Darvish and Cup. like it's that's not telling the whole story this is not just like some homegrown team that uh, just relied solely on their farm to to get to where they are, uh, but they're not even where they want to be at this point. Um, but what do you think? Do you like the fit of Matt Olson in in San Diego? Does that make sense to you? Sure. How does I that mean, work? Matt Olson, well, Matt Olson's a good fit anywhere, but the the I mean, I don't I don't think there's an issue of where Matt Olson wouldn't be a fit. Like he'd be a great mm-hmm. player for any. Like the only teams he doesn't make sense for are like St. Louis. Who's, I mean, Toronto, although I guess, you know, maybe they could, I mean, I don't think they would want to expend their resources there anyway. Like basically any, any team with a top five first baseman is probably not going to be interested in Matt Olson, particularly if they have that first baseman under contract for a bit or he's young. So like, again, mm-hmm. Toronto, like Toronto, St. Louis, um, it, it doesn't matter. Point is there are a few teams, but no, he makes sense for everyone else because he's one of the best first basemen in baseball. But yeah, the, the thing with San Diego is, okay, Great, sure, they can probably make a trade for him, although I honestly don't know if they have the prospect capital to do that anymore. Uh, their system has lost a lot through injuries, graduations, and the trades they've already made. Bigger mm. problem is, what do you do with Eric Hosmer? He still has roughly 60 some million dollars left on his contract for another four years. The good news is, and this is something I, I, I remember when I wrote about the Hosmer deal for SI, I noted that it was a really front-loaded contract. The mm. last three years are worth about 13, 14 million each. So we're talking 39, 40 some million dollars for what's left of three years of Eric Hosmer. And granted, mm-hmm. you're not going to have too many teams lining up for that in the first place. But at the very least, like if you're going to eat money, you don't have to eat that much. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the Padres is do we have both the prospect capital and the ability to move Eric Hosmer? Because Hosmer's not a guy you keep in this scenario. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere else for him to play. He is not a good enough fielder to do anything else uh, other than first base. I think. Well, I mean, the probably... Universal DH is coming. That is the Universal DH is coming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe. Maybe if you're the Padres, you can make an argument that, you know, you can just have Hosmer and Olsen just kind of flip between the two positions or, you know, whatever it happens to be. But the Padres already don't have enough offense at other positions that, I mean, Olsen be great, but, you know, they also have to look at the fact that they don't really have a good corner outfield situation right now. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to look at the fact that 
their second base situation with Adam Frazier is kind of up in the air right now. I don't know if we necessarily can bank on the Adam Frazier of next year being the guy who was an all-star for the Pirates. Um, there's completely a lot- forgot they traded for him, by the way. That was one I just completely forgot when their win now moves. Uh, this I completely forgot Frazier was traded to the Padres. So, yeah, part, part of my thinking there is 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 using that prospect capital on Olsen when they're already when it's already limited when you already have Eric Hosmer I mean again Universal DH does make a difference but it's would it not be better to use the money you have to add some kind of corner outfield help if possible or target something in that direction instead I don't know I mean Olsen is definitely good and helpful and would definitely be an improvement over Eric Hosmer in pretty much every sense but I wonder if San Diego has the appetite for not only the prospects it would cost but also I have to imagine even with the universal DH, they would probably still look at moving Hosmer anyway, if only because between him and Will Myers, those are the two big, like big contracts they still have on their hands for guys who I imagine at this point, they do not really want around anymore. Um, or at least who are not producing to the level that those, co- that they feel those contracts pay them. So I don't know. It's especially when you consider this is a team that is spending now in a big way for the first time, pretty much ever um, and you know the money that they're going to have to emit at some point allocate toward Fernando Tatis Jr. with regards to you know whatever or wait he's he already did sign the big I was gonna say he did get he yeah did. I'm sorry I, I was thinking of um in my mind I had with with the I was thinking of the Juan Soto contract offer the Nationals yes case. um but yeah they already so they already have the money for Machado and for uh and for Tatis on the books I I don't I just don't know if there's really an app, especially because Olsen will presumably for them would be a one-year rental. Okay. Um, I, I think, and this is kind of the other thing that I would wonder if whoever signs or whoever trades for Olsen, you know, they have another year of team control. Well, yes, he, he, another year of team control before he hits free agency. This is his last year under team control. He's probably going to play this season for, or sorry, this, uh, let me, let me double check that because I've managed to convince my, I, I looked this up earlier and I managed to forget it in the span of time, but uh, Matt Olsen has, will play this season for about $12 million. And then he'll be under control. Next year will be his last year of team control of arbitration three. So he can probably project into about, you know, 18, 20 million, something like that for a single season. So, and then on top of that, it's okay. Then he presumably walks after that. And I do wonder, like, if you're the team that trades for Olsen, presumably you want to do it the way the Cardinals did with Paul Goldschmidt and just immediately uh, look into the possibility of an extension the only difference, the only difference there is Paul Goldschmidt when he signed that extension. I'm just going to double check on the ages there. Um, I, I think also that Goldschmidt just seemed like a, a guy who kind of just wanted to be where he was in St. Louis. I do wonder if Olson, again, depending what the CBA looks like, would be more interested in his what will pretty much be his only real shot at free agency. So I imagine that's probably part of it too. Is you know, does he want to explore the free agent market and also? Goldschmidt is seven years older than Olsen is. So he signed that extension at a point where it was pretty unlikely that there wasn't going to be any really big free agent payday coming for him in the future, especially because by that point, his stats had kind of started to take a, a perceptible, not big, but still a, a noticeable like dip from the super all-star MVP peak. He was at to kind of just a more comfortably like good complimentary bat at this point. Olsen's obviously younger. Um, he's a left-handed hitter too, which obviously makes a big difference just in terms of, of you know, what you can expect going forward. So 
I, I do wonder what any team that targets him, if any, if he does get traded this offseason, what that looks like in terms of whether or not they can get him to redo an extension. But just given what he's almost certainly going to be asking for in free agency, because he's going to get there at uh, age 29, uh, 29 to 530, I believe, he's going to be looking for presumably something along the lines of probably what Freddie Freeman is looking for right now. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I don't know what San Diego's appetite is for more money, but I kind of have a hard time seeing them tossing another $200 million contract onto that pile or whatever it happens to be for Olsen um, when they already have Machado and Tatis signed for as much and as long as they do. And it's also, for me, it just feels like San Diego with Preller. Um, look, I, I'm rooting for San Diego and I'm rooting for what they're doing because I think what Preller has done and what ownership committed to is actually really commendable in the last couple of years, Major League Baseball. And I think they're a great story for a multitude of reasons of like what they develop, trading their prospects. Like, hey, things are good. We developed guys like we got guys like Tatis, but guess what? We supplement these young players that are awesome with veterans who are also awesome. What a concept that we we have a mixture between the two where we have the Chris Paddocks of the world, but we also trade for the U Darvishes of the world. We we actually try. We go sign Mark Melanson. Like we do all of these other things to really, really go for it and win a pennant. And look, injuries killed them last year um that was the main reason that this did not work out i mean there was that machado blow up that uh feels like forever ago but it seems like hey new manager coming in this year this is kind of like a weird win now situation and i don't know if matt olson really fits that mold but if you want to upgrade the hosmer spot for a year because you're like hey well for two years at this point because he's got two years yeah and that's well, the I mean, thing. Way, I, I, yeah. Well, I think ultimately for the Padres is whatever price Oakland asks is probably going to be too high because this is ultimately you think so? two years. Yeah, I mean, and you know, the one side of it is it's only two years and it's going to cost like you know thirty some million dollars and it's still just a first baseman, but it's a really good first baseman and fifteen million a year for a really good first baseman is a very good deal no matter what happens afterward. Oakland is still Oakland still has all the leverage here because of the amount of team control Olsen has left and the fact that it is relatively cheap. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine that if they do decide to move him, they're going to be asking for anything other than a package centered around young MLB ready guys. And I think at this point, San Diego system is more is more geared toward the lottery ticket types. There's guys who are a little further away from the majors. And I, I just don't know how interested Oakland is in that versus having guys who can come in and contribute right now cheaply for the next three to six years. But we've seen in the past, they accept some weird packages. Sure. And I'm, I'm sure any, any Olsen deal would of course have as, as any major deal would at least one or two of those low minors lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. And then those guys who are, you know, only 18 or 19 or, or even younger than that, but who have real potential to be something. I just think it would probably have to be built around at least one or two guys who are ready right now to contribute to a major league team because what Oakland values, I think, more than anything is those first six years, of, as with any other team, those first six years when that guy is producing for, especially the first three when that guy is producing for, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. Like, that's what that's what Oakland lives on because they choose not to afford better than that. Uh, John, there was this list on MLBTradeRumors.com that I wanted to throw at you. So it's a post-lockout trade candidate, uh, 27 regulars who could potentially change teams long list, long laundry items of guys, but it was fascinating to think about all these different guys who could be on the mid. It's, it's funny because we've talked about guys like Austin Meadows, John means um, Max Kepler. Uh, there's just a lot of dudes on here that you're like, ah, this would be 
interesting and seeing guardian starting pitcher still is strange and that's going to take yeah, a long time to get used to like, yeah yes. it's going to be a lot to see guardians and not be like what the <laughs> hell does that mean right who stood out to you the names that when you went through this and you were like hmm this is interesting who who stood out the most to you uh i think probably move. i think probably john means and chris paddock most of these other guys i mean there's some upside and some and some you know potential interest in you know maybe you're the team that can get some more consistency both health-wise and production-wise out of Max Kepler, or, you know, maybe you're the team that can figure out, um, you know, like if Danny Jansen actually can be more than a backup. But, like, I think the great majority of the guys on this list are guys where I'd be, I would probably be more, I'd be honestly be surprised to move them in, if they got moved in the offseason because some of these guys really feel like mid-season, like trade deadline type guys. Um uh, Anthony Santander, Josh Bell, Merrill Kelly, um, you know, Chris Stratton, Cole Solzer, like those guys will probably get traded. I just don't think it's going to be to any, I don't think it's going to be when the lockout ends. And I think those are more likely guys who teams pick up during the season if they need help, particularly since guys like Kelly and Bell are, you know, they're free agents at the end of the season. So those teams are really not, and they're free agents at the end of the season on either rebuilding or bad teams. So, you know, there's, those guys are going to move pretty easily for whoever needs them uh, whenever they happen to be needed. Guys like Paddock and Means are definitely more interesting. Means, obviously, because he can be a mid-rotation guy right away. Paddock, because he has that top-of-the-rotation upside if you can figure out how to teach him a third pitch and also improve the two he already has. Um, beyond that, I think Alberto, Adalberto, eh, Adalberto Mondesi is definitely an interesting name if the Royals do decide to move on from him. Personally, I I'm can't see through him in there because he was my number one where it's like the dude has the physical stuff. Like it would not surprise me if his next team is where he figures a lot of stuff out. I, I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. I just don't see him being moved now because I don't mm. think it makes any sense for Kansas City to dump him so low without trying to first, you know, give it one more one more. Just I, I don't I don't see them giving up yet. There's too much mm. talent there. And, you know, I don't imagine that they would get all that much back right now because I don't think there's anyone all that much interested in a guy who can run but cannot get on base. Otherwise, I mean, if you want to gamble on the next two years of Kyle Hendricks um, and that his peripherals can somehow keep defying the or that he can keep <laughs> defying his own peripherals and his age, you're more than welcome to. I'm sure the Cubs, uh, if things do not pan out the way they want to this year, will probably be trying to move him aggressively at the deadline or in the offseason to try to offload what's left of his deal. Feels but, like a future uh, Red Sox. Don't don't do that. Don't, don't he do feels that. like a future Red Sox. Do I, I don't know how to explain so, it, but so he just cool. does. But yeah, you I mean, he feels than, like an, he feels like a Boston Red Sox, John. You know he other, does. But otherwise, there are a lot of guys on this list who feel like kind of they feel like mid rotate. They feel like mid season moves, or in a guy like Zach Plesac, maybe just a guy like a not even so much a change of scenery, but just someone where Cleveland is like, okay, we don't really need you around, so what can we get in exchange? Um, I, something similar like with the Rays and Ryan Yarborough, where it's like I'm sure the Rays mm-hmm. could definitely use Ryan Yarborough. But I think if someone were to come interested in him with an offer, I'm pretty sure they would more likely than not, if the offer's right, say, yeah, sure, why not? Guys like Ryan Yarbrough are replaceable. Um, and so that that also would not surprise me to see that happen, if only because that's also coming from a team that's made a, a very successful run out of just replacing anyone at any time, no matter who they are. Um, but I think especially a guy, I, I think especially seeing seeing San Diego give up on Paddock and seeing Kansas city give up on Mondesi would be the two most surprising for sure. Um, even though I, even though I'm pretty sure at this point, I do not think San Diego necessarily 
has I think Paddock very much is the odd man out in San Diego, but I also mm-hmm. don't think that they have the pitching depth, uh, particularly with the way Mackenzie Gore's development has, has really stalled and, and struggled to, to be able to move a guy like that unless they're getting more pitching in return. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, John, uh, talk me off the ledge here. Um, talk me off what pop up. Um, I need you to talk me off the ledge here, John. Freddie Freeman, yeah. the growing belief around Major League Baseball is that he is going to be playing elsewhere next season. Um, outside of Matt Olson, which I still don't think I would bet on if you lose Freddie Freeman. Um, I don't think there's a, there's obviously not a great in-house option waiting in the wings. Um, this is this was something that I was saying before. I was like the fact that they didn't lock this in the fact that there was clearly some sort of not bad blood, but the fact that like this was not done months and months ago. And it was over something as silly as a fifth year versus a sixth year where it's like, man, if you're going down the five, six rabbit hole, you might as well just do the six. Like I understand if you're like, no, we want it more like the two to three, whatever. That's a big difference between two to three and six. If you're going to give them five. Yeah. But that's the thing, like these teams do not make these decisions with that kind of emotion and Mm -hmm. mindset. Like, I think we're seeing the same thing when it comes to the labor negotiations where we're talking about stuff Mm -hmm. like how hard would it be for the for the league to agree to a a raise of the league minimum by like seventy five thousand dollars a piece? That's Mm -hmm. a grand total of like four million dollars a team or something. But I think for all these teams, especially in in the front offices and the owners alike, there's to a certain degree the principle of the matter, which is this is our number. This is what mm-hmm. we believe you are worth. This is what all the advanced and fancy mathematics have said you are worth. And it does not matter who you are, how long you've played here, what you mean, how, whatever. If you, if you, if we have decided that this is what you are worth, then that's our offer and you can take it or leave it. And I get the sense that this is probably how the Braves are operating with Freeman. If only because, well, I mean, this, this is just kind of the, the, the maximalist Bill Belichick approach of you are here until you are no longer needed to be here or until you can no, until we can no longer afford to have you here, no matter how good you are. Because I think that's also part of it, too. I don't think this is something where, where Atlanta realistically thinks that re-signing Freddie Freeman would be a mistake or something. Even if, it, even if it were to be about a fifth or a sixth year, I don't think ultimately that they would hold that sixth year against Freddie Freeman coming back. I think it's more just they have a very specific number in mind that they do not want to exceed and that even Freddie Freeman isn't worth it, which the funny thing to me about that is not only is it that would that be Atlanta punting on next season in terms of contention, because this Braves team does not contend without Freddie Freeman. I don't really see how that happens, because like you said, there are no good in-house options, but there's also not a long term solution presenting itself here either. Mm -hmm. There's no prospect in the Braves system at first base who looks at all, you know, like he's anywhere close to, to getting either on a top prospect list or anywhere close to getting in the majors. Yep. I mean, maybe, bunch of outfielders and catchers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, maybe, I mean, do you really want to, I mean, you want Shea Langoliers behind the plate. So, you know, are you, are you going to look at will, uh, you're going to look at Willie Contreras as a first baseman? You know, are you, are you really going to consider a guy like Michael Harris, the second, you know, wouldn't you rather have him be an outfielder? Like, that's kind of the thing. It's like there's no good option either today or tomorrow for the Braves with internally. And there are no good options left on free agency either unless they want to sign Nick Castellanos and turn him into a first baseman, which why would you do that when you could just sign Freddie Freeman instead? Mm-hmm. And I haven't looked at what the next offseason looks like, but first base is kind of, I mean, there are always going to be power hitting first base types, but a guy who does everything the way Freddie Freeman does, you're waiting for Matt Olson to hit the market if he hits the market. Or you're, you're also just trade. like, 
It's one of those where it's like, clearly, this is something when your ownership group lives in Colorado and is not uh, not in the Atlanta area, where it's like, okay, this disconnect, I, I think they're overplaying their hand because if that if this goes the way it, it it's looking there will be a revolt like this will go over horribly and i think well, I that think- they're over overthinking that like oh we won the title we got them the ring so they're okay now we can be cheap because we got the ring and we can play hardball with freddie freeman but it's like no 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 that's not how this works you don't then revert back and then get rid of all the goodwill because you want a ring that that no that's that thing. is that, yes yeah. i think that's the idea is that they feel like well we've built up the free we built up mm-hmm. all the goodwill thanks to that world series mm-hmm. and they can also bill it as well now freddie freeman gets to end his braves career with a <laughs> ring and a championship and isn't that nice while he goes to spend the next four years in in, in la or something or mm-hmm. wherever it is he would presumably go i mean you saw it with the red Sox and mookie Betts. we've seen it with other teams too like you know the championship i think a lot of owners do take that championship as an excuse to do stuff that they feel otherwise fans would be too upset about, Mm -hmm. especially because, and I think this is a more prominent mindset now, especially than even in the past, there is the idea that if you win a world series, you do gain yourself that fan base that says, well, they know what they're doing. They just Mm -hmm. won a world series. If they're letting Freeman walk, it has to be for a good reason. I I mean, I think you're right. They're deaf. If the, if the Braves don't sign Freddie Freeman, there are going to be tons and tons of fans are going to be really upset. And I imagine there are going to be a lot of fans who say, how could you do this after winning a World Series? I'll never go to another Atlanta game again or whatever. But I think there, too, that they have re- they have calculated or at least done the done the thinking of we can afford that. If this pisses off X number of fans, fine. There's a there is an there is an upper limit, probably an upper limit. But at the same time, yeah. I think teams are more and more willing to make that calculated gamble that it really doesn't matter what the average fan thinks anymore. Because if ticket sales, and this has been a thing, are less and less a part of team revenues, and if that stuff matters less and less, and if your team is making tons and tons of money anyway through, uh, through the deals the league has, if, through the TV deals the league has, through the regional sports network deal that, that Atlanta has, through all the, all the real estate stuff that the team has done around the stadium and that Liberty Media is presumably doing elsewhere, what does it really matter ultimately? If you lose a, fruit, a few fans because Freddie Freeman's not there anymore, so what? You're saving so much money in the process. It doesn't really matter. They and don't care. It, like it's like, just think about what it signals of just being like, hey. Yes, it is a very, it is a very, very bad signal to win a World Series and then let your best player walk. That's yeah, a really like that, bad thing to do. Like you're literally saying we don't care about defending the title. Like that's no, it. You like you're, you're not I, trying. I, I would bet that within the Atlanta front office, there's probably a feeling that this is a good team, but that this is not the Dodgers. And that realistically, what happened last year was not a fluke, but mm. a, a run, a combination of good luck, good performance, and bad injury luck on the part, especially of the Dodgers, that enabled the Braves to get to where they were. Again, yeah, it's like Corey Soler and Rosario do not have that postseason nine times out of ten. Like yeah, no, that's, that's those post, like the, those things, and Jock Peterson also having the postseason mm-hmm. he did. Although I guess we could argue that that just kind of seems to be Jock Peterson's thing. Um, regardless, yeah. like I think there's probably an an acceptance in Atlanta that they will not defend the title this year, Freddie Freeman or no. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no Freddie Freeman means the title defense odds get that much lower. But I think even at that same time. Even if that even if that breaks up your real any real chance to defend the World Series, and even if that puts the NL East in real danger, if we do get expanded playoffs as part of this CBA or eventually, 
again, teams might just be thinking, well, what is, I mean, the division still matters, but if we can still get in the playoffs as an 85 win team running a hundred million dollar payroll, if not even that, who cares? Cool. I think really that's all that matters. All that these, all these owners want are teams that function as profit machines first and foremost. And the way that the best way for them to do that is to reduce costs, particularly when it comes to payroll. And I think that's like what I said. I think that's where you get those kind of hard, whatever hard number the Braves have as to their valuation of Freddie Freeman, how many years and how many dollars he's worth. I think that's part of a much larger calculus as to how, how cost effectively can we run this team while not turning our fan base completely away. And I do think that they have probably calculated that winning the World Series gives them a lot of leeway that they would not have had otherwise. We'll see what ultimately happens. I'm pretty dubious. I'm pretty out on what happens here. I think if I had to guess right now, I don't think Freddie Freeman's a brave next year. And I also will say, yeah. It's wild to think about that because there's just, aside from, again, from whatever number the Braves came up with, there's no valid, there's no good reason for them to do that. There's none at all. And I think the worst part is going to be that the final number is going to be not that bad at all. No, because eventually what I predict will probably happen with Freeman is that, I I mean, the Braves aren't alone in this. I don't, I don't imagine there are too many teams who want to give Freddie Freeman six years at the age of 33. But there's also different contexts with different teams. Like the context for the Braves giving the uh, Freddie Freeman a sixth year is completely different than a team like the Angels doing it. Right. The sixth year for Atlanta is is the effect of like, this is your walk year. This is your Mm -hmm. say goodbye, call it a career, we'll build you a statue, we'll retire your number, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. You know, for any other team, that sixth year is just so that you don't, so that we're happy with everyone and so that we can smooth out some luxury tax implications or CBT implications or Mm -hmm. whatever. But I, I do feel that more likely than not, and I think this is probably something we're going to see, again, depending on what the CBA looks like and whether or not the CBT actually does get raised to, or the CBT threshold does get raised by any substantial amount, we mm. are probably more likely to see a guy like that sign one of those Max Scherzer-type high AAV short-year deals, maybe something like a, a four-year deal worth you know $120 million or something, and then figure it out from there. I mean, obviously, it's understandable why Freddie Freeman wants six years. I doubt he wants to try to do free agency again. And I'm sure, too, he probably would have just liked to sign that long term deal with Atlanta and just be there for the rest of his career. You know, he has a home there. He has his family there. He has good memories and a World Series ring. And I'm sure he'd like to be there for the next six years of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s career. But, yeah, I, I... I have a hard time seeing anyone being willing to give him that length, though. And I think if it does happen, maybe it is something closer to like maybe the Dodgers are, the, are a team that jumps in and does be like, hey, come home to this, come home to the West Coast. We'll give you three years, 90 million dollars, you know, gives you the freedom if you don't like it to leave eventually where you have the freedom where we're not we're not, you know, locked into something long term. I could see that, I, I think. And I think if that is the case, it does restrict his market to those teams that are willing to do that. I mean, obviously, the the other really interesting name in here, because he makes perfect sense at a thousand different levels, is the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And that would be weird, one, because I really don't want to see Freddie Freeman without facial hair. That just doesn't <laughs> feel right to me. And but I, I'm also curious if they'd be willing to do that, if that's more in line with what they would like to do than something like the eight or 10 years at 350 million plus that Carlos Correa is going to be asking for once mm-hmm. the lockout ends like. I wonder if they're more into something where it's like we can we can eat a high salary, a high team salary for a few years as opposed to locking it down to have to deal with this $25 million a year or however much it is year after year after year, way past the point when Freeman is anything other than uh, basically a platoon first baseman. <sighs> a good one, like. but still. I mean, that's like you said at the beginning of this, man. Time, time wins it and time wins in the end. And Freddie Freeman is no different in that regard.
I don't like this. All right, why did I throw that on the run sheet for tonight? I don't know why I did that. I was gonna myself. say if you're no, if you're a Braves fan, you should hate this. There's no, there's no way to look at this as a Braves fan and feel good at all. There's no way to feel good about it, and there's no reason to feel good about it either. Go Braves. Um, speaking of interesting situations, we talked about the the Angels. Um, there's a really good piece in Fangraphs.com that people should go subscribe to. If they're not already done so. Fangraphs.com. Uh, Brandon Marsh, who is kind of a forgotten guy, but as the piece outlines, kind of had an interesting season in 2021. Uh, John, what do you make of the piece? And are you a Brandon Marsh believer in 2022? So yeah, it's a it's a very good piece for those who haven't read it. Angels fans in particular, uh, Justin Choi wrote it, basically pointing mm-hmm. out the fact that Marsh is a kind of hitter who you could really who could really surprise people next year because he is a dude who has a line a very line drive swing that produces kind of that you know he's got he ran a very high batting average on balls in play last year, but it was just over four hundred. But there's reason to believe that he could be one of those guys that just can do high BABIP figures on the regular because he has a line drive swing and he's very fast. So he's someone who actually, you know, could surprise offensively in that regard. And Justin does note, you know, the caveat that Brandon Marsh also struck out a ton last year. So, you know, there are issues he needs to work out. This is not something where he's suddenly magically going to turn into peak Ichiro. But I think what's particularly interesting about it is to me, and this kind of gets into the, the Angels as a whole, that's the kind of upside slash breakout that they need if they're going to be any kind of contender because that roster continues to be the exact same thing it has been for the last however many years around Mike Trout. It's Mm -hmm. a handful of stars and a whole bunch of problems. There's not enough depth. There are not enough like starting caliber pieces in the lineup, in the rotation, in the bullpen. Marsh, like if the Angels are going to get anywhere going forward, it's going to be because guys like Marsh take that step forward. It's, I mean, obviously a really big part of that is that Otani, Trout, Anthony Rendon, and Noah Syndergaard, all four of those guys have to stay healthy and produce all year. Angels go nowhere without those guys. But the second part of that is they need guys like Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele and uh, not just the prospect guys too, but some of the guys already there in the form of, you know, guys like, you know, Jack, maybe not Jack Mayfield stepping up, but they need positive contributions from guys that it feels kind of hard to expect positive contributions from. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited. Well, this naturally leads us into the Los Angeles Angels season preview. I'm excited to see what you've got next week for the Seattle Mariners, John, uh, with, with your attire today. Um, Goms. <laughs> Go on. Um, so... The Los Angeles Angels, another season where it it's just they're the most frustrating team, I think, to talk about in Major League Baseball because they have two once in a generation type players now on a team that neither of us, I'm going to go ahead and say, believe are going to be contenders in the AL again in 2022. Um, gone through multiple GMs now with uh, with Mike Trout. Artie Moreno still running this team, still causing the same problems that have always been the case. And I don't know. They're just, they're frustrating. They're not a train wreck anymore. They're not a train wreck, but they're also not great. They're, they're fine. And Shohei Otani, who's on your sweatshirt, he's going to be awesome for the foreseeable future. But you see that kind of season. You're like, what was that for, man? Like this is just, it's like a museum that displays, like Guernica and like Monet's water lilies, but then the rest of the walls are covered with like old beer advertisements from like the seventies that have been torn out of magazines. Like 
it's it, it is it's almost an insult what the Angels do. In they have wasted. They're not just now. Not only they were not content to waste the prime of the greatest player any of us alive have ever seen, the second coming of Willie Mays, and all, for all intents and purposes, now they're going to waste the second coming of 1918 Babe Ruth too. It's like when it's like when the Cavaliers got LeBron James in the draft, and on the one hand you're like, oh, the hometown kid. But on the other hand, you were like, they're going to waste him. Mm-hmm. They're going to waste him because they're they're a stupid team that doesn't do stuff right. And that's that. It, I don't really know how you feel any other way about the Angels other than they're a stupid team that doesn't do things right. They don't. They just. I, I don't understand. And part of this, I think, is because, and I guess Mets fans, cover your ears. I don't think Billy Epler did a particularly good job with regards to free agent scouting with regards to, and I don't think the angels did a particularly good job with player development either. And that's mostly on Epler. And again, Mets fans, but it's also definitely on Artie Moreno, who is a meddlesome idiot who apparently thinks he's running an NBA team where all you need are four really good players. And then you're set. Hmm. The spending is so erratic and inconsistent in, in with the angels where they either do stuff like they try to give Garrett Cole $350 million or they give Matt Harvey like 5 million bucks to just be awful. You know, all, all the, the, the constant jokes about how their, their rotation is nothing but one year pillow guys who are trying to like, re, they're trying to rehabilitate like Jose Quintana or Harvey or, or I guess it kind of worked with Dylan Bundy or although it worked for one year and then it went completely to hell the second. You know, I mean, I could keep, I could keep going probably forever with Angels guys. I guess Syndergaard's the next one where they're going to try to do it. Which, on the one hand, a healthy Noah Syndergaard is great. He would be far and away. He would give them far and away probably the top two pitchers in any rotation in the AL West if he's healthy and productive. On the other hand, we have not seen a healthy and productive Noah Syndergaard in two years. Basically, he did not throw a single breaking ball last year. His doctors told him not to do it. Hmm. That doesn't really fill you with confidence for 2022, does it? And on top of that, you take an Angels team that where pitchers seem to break all the time and where no one there seems to be able to get anything close to the best out of a pitcher unless there's someone like Otani and they just have two 80-grade pitches and can throw 100 miles an hour. Well, I think it's like the Syndergaard thing makes a lot more sense if he's your number three or or not even three, like your number four, number five, like our wild card guy. Like if things go right, he needs to be an important part. But he needs to be a key ingredient like that there's this the pressure is so strong that Syndergaard has to be healthy and what he once was like you're just like yes because it's not even against Syndergaard but it's it's not a great situation no because there's no depth behind him either Michael yes. Lorenzen is the fourth starter on this team I was gonna say can you guess who who's penciled in behind Otani and Syndergaard right now it's it's Lorenzen it's Jaime mm. Berea I believe I'm Three not I'm I looked at this roster 15 <laughs> minutes ago and I already can't remember the fifth starter. That's how bad the situation is there. Again, there, there is so little depth where there needs to be more, particularly mm-hmm. the rotation. But also you see, like, you know, you, great. You have Mike Trout in left field now because you're going to have Brandon Marsh playing center. But Marsh is really no bet to be anything other than league average offensively, if even that. And in right field, you have either the continually decaying corpse of Justin Upton, who has not <laughs> been remotely close to a productive major league hitter in the last two years, or Joe Adele, who very clearly has some very serious pitch recognition and selectivity issues that have really that he has really, really struggled to figure out both at AAA and the majors. If you're a real contending team, that's not what you're, you should be going to the season with. They're starting the, the top of their starting uh, depth chart at shortstop is Tyler Wade. That can't happen. You can't be a contender and have that. How can you have a team with Mike Trout 
and Shohei Otani, <laughs> but you're going to start Tyler Wade at shortstop. And then you have Anthony Rendon right next to him. We haven't even talked about Rendon. No, and, and that the other the other issue you worry about there is, you know, Rendon with the lower leg injuries, he's con- he, he has constantly had lower leg problems. At what point does it become so chronic that you worry that he simply can't play the position anymore? He's 30, base- he turns 32 this year. That this is a this is the thing. He is at a really dangerous point in his career where things could very easily fall off a cliff. You know, we could be looking at a second kind of Mike Lowell type situation where the dude Oof. basically calcifies from the lower half down and is basically completely unable to play his position anymore. And I don't think Rendon is necessarily there, but I think certainly after last year and all the and all the myriad leg issues he had with the Nationals, I really don't think it's something you can just say outright. Oh yeah, Anthony Rendon will be back next year and he'll be totally back to normal. I don't think you can count on that. Nor yeah. do I think you can count that. I mean, we've already seen now in the last years that Mike Trout has struggled to stay healthy. We've already seen in the past with Otani. Granted, Tommy John is not necessarily something we can hold against him, but it happened. He's already ruptured an, el- an elbow ligament. He is no he is no bet to stay healthy either, especially if he's going to be hitting and pitching. That just increases the amount of stress his body is under on a regular basis. Again, this team goes nowhere without any of those top four guys of Trout, Otani, Rendon, and Syndergaard hurt or non-productive because they simply don't have the depth to make up for that otherwise. So ultimately, like I, I it's just, and, and you factor in too, that the farm system is improving, but still pretty weak and also filled with guys who are still years away. You look at their top 10 prospects for the most part, we're talking about guys down in a ball rookie league down in their, in their international complexes, you know, aside from Reed Detmers and maybe Sam Bachman, there's really no help coming from that prospect list this year and probably not next year either barring some guys taking a real big leap. Although again, Adele is a relative wild card here in that, you know, he was at one point, he was, you know, a universally regarded top five prospect and that skill doesn't just disappear. And it's, and I'm not saying like, Oh, Joe Adele doesn't exist anymore, but this Joe Adele, we've seen the, 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 we've seen play so far over the last two seasons does not look like an impact player right now. And I don't think the angels can necessarily bank on that either. So yeah, this is this is a team that once again just does not have the necessary depth because that's the thing. It's like they forget there's a 162 game season. You know, again, it's it's like Artie Moreno thinks this is the NBA where it's a shorter year with where you don't need more than like 12 guys at one given time. This is yeah. a, this is a 162 game sport. Well, not this year, but <laughs> with a 20 with 25 guys, all of whom need to be at least useful in some way or capacity. And a lot of whom need to be at least capable of starting without embarrassing you. Instead, you're going to be rolling out Max Stassi at catcher. I, it's just, how do you expect that that's going to, you can't believe that. It's just the weirdest roster, man. Like, you get Max Stassi at catcher. Like, is Joe Adele an opening day guy? Like, what we've seen so. thus far? I don't, I don't think he is. I think they probably leave him down in AAA again and just wait. So then, is the corpse of Justin Upton in there? I guess, but that's the thing. Like, what are their options? Oh. I mean, just for, just for example, their options in right field are a guy who hasn't shown he can hit major league pitching yet, and a guy who might have died a year ago. We just don't know, actually. And I feel really bad saying that. I love Justin Up. He's one of my, one of my favorite hitters. Oh, he was here. a great. He has a smooth swing. He was great in Atlanta. Shout out to but Justin. Remember the very... Upton up in here? Up in there. Do you remember that meme? I got to. This, this is where if you just you got to get the producer to flash the uh, Upton, Upton, Upton cover. Yes, I'm here for it. But yeah, I mean, I, I've loved Justin Upton as a hitter, but it's really clear he's cooked. Like there's there's really nothing left in that bat aside from the occasional like running into a mistake pitch and launching it 400 feet. Like that's pretty much all he's capable of doing at this point. And again, a guy who's who like Rendon, his lower half is seriously compromised at this point. 
Wasn't there so, a fangraphs? I think it was Simbroski who wrote about Upton a few months back about like what he was like him just being late on fastballs now and him not doing yeah. anything with fastballs anymore. I was like, oh, this is over. Like, yeah. It's once, just... yeah, once you lose that ability to hit fastballs generally, that's it. Mm-hmm. You're you're done. So yeah, I, I think this is the issue with the Angels is as always or as per usual they have just not done enough. Mm-hmm. If this team adds another starter, if they were to add a Carlos Rodon. We get another injury risk, but at least at the same time, there's real upside in him that I don't think you currently can find in the likes of Jaime Berea or or anyone else currently or Jose Suarez. But add a Rodon, add a, you know, I don't know how you figure it out because Otani does have to be the full-time DH. You know, ideally, if you were to sign like a Nick Castellanos, you plug him into the, so, well, better said, sign a Michael Conforto. Put him in right field. Make it make Adele either make Adele earn a spot or have him just be around as a bench bat anyway. And that means you don't have to deal with Upton at all. Like there, there's still moves that they could make and probably really need to. But until they do that, I really don't see this team as being anything other than yet again, maybe 500. If everything breaks right, maybe they're really giving the Astros and and um, and whoever else a time in the West. But I think more likely than not, this is a team that gets eliminated around the beginning to middle of September it's the weirdest roster, man. Like you've got in the same opening day lineup, it might be Otani, Trout, and Rendon, and then also Tyler Wade, David Fletcher, and Max Stassi. It's yeah, the weirdest. It's, just, it's the it's, weirdest it's, group. It's stars and scrubs in a completely untenable way, and it just boggles the mind that after this many front office changes, after this many, after this many years, it's it still has not improved. Like I can't, I mean, I cannot say for sure what Perry Manassian is, is now targeting to do in, in, in Los Angeles, like what exactly the strategy, if any, is in terms of, you know, rebuilding the farm system and increasing the amount of depth they have and improving player development. But, I mean, the end result right now is still the same. And I guess mm-hmm. you would have to think that whatever Manassian, whatever plans Manassian has or has either begun to implement or is implementing, that it's probably not going to yield enough of a result for 2022 which means another year of Trout wasted and means an- potentially another MVP year of Otani wasted too. And that that's the real crime. These two guys who are two of the best baseball players any of us will ever see in our lifetimes are going to spend their careers dithering around with a team that just doesn't get it. And that's really frustrating. Hmm. Go Angels. Go wow. Angels. <laughs> Go. I, feel, I feel bad. For, I mean, I feel not... It's weird. I don't feel bad for Angels fans because I get to watch Mike Trout and, and Shohei Otani every single day. On the other hand, they get to watch Mike Trout and Shohei Otani waste their careers every single day. And that probably like hurt. I feel like it was Ben Lindbergh. Shout out to Effectively Wild, the other great uh, Fangraphs podcast. But I think he was talking about it last year. I remember I was listening to him and Meg um, in one of my summer runs. And they were, he was talking about it. He was like, yeah, I watch like every Angels game because I just don't want to miss the greatness of Otani. Like he, he never misses it. And I'm like... Even still, I don't think you could sell me on watching it's David Flett. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's enough for me. Because, and, I, and the tough thing, I was thinking about this during the All-Star, during the NBA All-Star game when Steph Curry was just bombing threes from literally every point on the court. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, like, MLB has its Steph, has a Steph Curry. It's Shohei mm-hmm. Otani. They have someone who is capable of doing these jaw-dropping lunatic things all the time. The mm-hmm. only problem is you have to tune in at 10 p.m. on if you live on the East Coast to watch an otherwise bad team where you're only going to get a guaranteed three or four at-bats from Otani where he might not do anything. And they're going to be spaced out, but who knows how long? Who knows how long it's going to be till he bats again? And, like, that's just 
an inherent intrinsic problem with baseball that like there's no real way to solve unless you completely change the rules of the sport. But it does kind of to your point, it's like it does make it that much harder to want to watch an Angels game because you're like, there's a lot of crap I have Mm -hmm. to wade through in order to get to the good stuff. They're a team you can parse through. They don't make they don't make it worth my time otherwise. Do you know what we we just invented an idea for MLB TV this year? Um, So what you do is because I'm not watching a full Angels game unless I have to. I don't I don't know if the Angels are on the Braves schedule this year. Um, That being said, if they created an MLB TV thing where it's not it's like the Red Zone network or red zone channel but for the angels just for the angels where it's like you get an alert on your mlb yeah, tv like, app we need a we need chris hansen like all right or is this chris hansen or scott hansen i think it's scott chris hansen yeah. was the guy with the the the, the other show yeah right. <laughs> like, all right, let, 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 let's cut away to this angels game let's cut away to this angels game we got mike trout at bat we got mike trout up here at, at bat like yeah that's, that would be amazing I that's mean, how you do it I do remember there at least for a time i don't know if it still exists there was a twitter bot that was just is mike trout batting oh that's good and so it just every time my trout came to the plate it would just pop up and be like yes like so you knew oh yeah i'm to check in on trout and like i don't know i i don't know i mean i would love that idea if they could just let you know like okay the guy you actually want to see here he comes you don't have to watch tyler wade hit mm-hmm. like i don't know it, it just feels like a particular way of broadcasting i mean we i know that's there's gonna be a was. whole generation john a whole generation of baseball fans that never once watch an entire Los Angeles Angels game with Mike Trout. They Probably. never watch one. Like Mike Trout will be missed by an entire generation of fans. Yeah. And is that not incredible? That, which is, yeah, again, the comparison or the contrast, obviously, to there's not a single NBA fan on the face of the earth who does not know who Steph Curry is, mm-hmm. who has not seen him play or has not seen him do something. I mean, again, you can't fix that without changing baseball completely. Um, I don't know if baseball really wants to get, I mean, baseball's in that weird place where they both want to market the stars, but they don't want to market the stars. Cause when you market the stars, then the stars start me. The they're owners, also like, they're very particular about the stars they want to market to, yeah, which is and the other part of yeah, this. Sometimes I like when I see the players who do pop up and like MLB network promos, I want to be like, okay, I get that guy and that guy. Why mm-hmm. did you invite this guy? Like, like, why are you like, why is Wade Davis on my TV right now? Like, <laughs> Is he in a commercial? I I don't know. I just picked I just picked that name out of random. I was gonna say, are you watching? A, I, now I want to believe that like on MLB TV, there's like some awesome. Lo- I wish we got the lo- awesome local ads because here in Knoxville, I get that sometimes where you want to watch some amazing local ads. That's what you want. Like I want some local ads for Tyler Wade in Los Angeles. Him are all the local ad- ads in Knoxville just like various former Tennessee quarterbacks just like pitching you on stuff? No, a lot of a lot of car play like there's a lot of um uh used car lots so they well, do I that. Figure that, that I would, that's why i figured like the logical connection of just like yeah i'm former tennessee quarterback oh Dave here we go Heward. no no okay who's no. who you know who actually was okay true, fa- true or false i was gonna say did you know todd helton was a quarterback at university of tennessee he was he backed up peyton manning he did look at you john taylor hey man i read jay jaffe's jaws pieces on larry walker or in larry walker on todd helton i know what's up but uh yeah i just figured it would be come on down to todd helton's used chevy and uh, (laughs) no there's actually like a ben franklin motors and there's like a rusty wallace stuff but it's also just like no it's more of like that's great (laughs) yeah but it's more of like the they're in your face and like the people who are running them are just like come on down it's like all those cliche type commercials from like 1995 like all the commercials 
Mm-hmm. I would I would love to see a compendium of local TV commercials because the New York mm-hmm. ones are just always someone with the thickest New York <laughs> accent in the entire world to be like, hey, come on down <laughs> to one five four five Ocean Boulevard. We got tons of we got tons of cars. We got you like cars. We got cars. <laughs> like it is. Yeah, There's you- a bicycle shop down the street from uh, me. I won't say what they are, but I've never seen anyone inside it. And I, I tell the sports renaissance woman all the time. We drive by it. And I'm like, it's a front. There's no way you can convince me that it's not a front because no one's buying bicycles. A in Knoxville. Haven't seen anyone on a bike anywhere. No one's riding bikes. And two, who's buying a bike uh, like in person who's like going in like the i don't understand how it's been in business they have that much quality no there's something else going on i don't know what that is john but i am convinced that it's a front you cannot tell me otherwise no i i believe you on that but no it's it's the same i i don't know what i'm I'm sure it well it would keep rob manford up at night if he cared about baseball but that man does not care about baseball one bit i'm sure it has been very frustrating for the league to have both the best player in baseball and now the most exciting interesting player in baseball on a bad team on the west coast with no real ability to get people to be like because again you tell people to tune into angels games you're like okay he's gonna come up in 35 minutes (laughs) in between you're gonna have to watch dylan bundy pitch or whatever like that's a really hard sell there's no point when the warriors are on the floor if steph curry's on the floor that he's not involved there are many many times when the angels are doing stuff that shohei otani's nowhere in the picture I don't really know what you can do about that unless you just kind of decide to go like real old school NHL and be like, okay, there are only eight teams now. (laughs) And every team is now a super team. Yeah, they're not doing that. If anything, these leagues are expanding. Honestly, I think if you gave (laughs) leaving aside the financial ramifications (laughs) of getting rid of like 75% of the league, if, (laughs) if you offered Rob Manfred the ability to reconstruct baseball as essentially a bunch of super teams constantly playing each other. Pretty sure he would take that. Oh yeah. I think every owner would take that. Yeah. Because I mean, that would theoretically at least solve that problem for baseball. Of like now every guy involved is great. It basically yes. like every team is now an all-star team. And then all the owners like the Dick Monforts of the world are just like uh, minor owners and the super teams. And they're like, Oh, we're making money again. We're happy. You're like, yeah, who cares? Exactly. Like, they, you, you buy their shares out and they get to be, they get to buy into one big super team. The yes. One in New York, the one in Los Angeles, the one in Chicago and the one in the South. Boom, we're done. I don't know if they prefer Florida or Georgia. What do I know? The South. Uh, just I know if you want to do eight teams, then you can do Texas and Florida. Okay. And you can keep a Boston team. Mm-hmm. And you can do an, a San Francisco team. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm going to, if I still had that column out at SI, where it's just like, we're going to reorganize baseball into eight regional super teams. We're going to conduct a super team draft. Okay. Let's redo the sports. There you go. Rob John Taylor, what can done screwing over the, the union? Give me a call. I got an idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to get Manfred on the podcast anytime soon. No, that, that also, seems very unlikely. I also don't want, like, I don't know. There's just, what, what are we, what will we learn? There's nothing to learn. Like you're not getting any honest answers. Like who cares? Like there's no, no point just, to that. I mean, there, that's, that's why that's he does PR at that point. Well, that's why he doesn't do the, the, the great number of interviews because he's only out there to promote major league baseball. He's not out, out there to answer questions about it. Right. It's not his job. He also doesn't watch it. So if he was watching it, maybe you can get uh, some better insight there. At least Bud Selig watched it. Like you can tell that dude actually, he loved his hot dogs. What was it every day? He had hot dogs and a Diet Coke for lunch every day. That man lived for baseball games. What, like, what does he, it say about Rob Manfred that we're thinking wistfully about Bud Selig? Hey, a lot of thoughts on Bud Selig, but 
I never once questioned that that man loved to sit uh, at Miller Park watching a Brewers game. You could he not. Really, conv- he really yeah. did love that. I, yeah, I, I will give him that. Alan H. Bud Selig, used car owner, used car uh, lot owner. That's true. That is very true. much loved the Milwaukee Brewers. Hey, ba- <laughs> what a tragic step, uh, misstep <laughs> in Major League Baseball uh, at this point. Uh, John Taylor, Thank we can find you on Twitter, Jay Taylor. Uh, go subscribe to Fangraphs.com if you have not already done so. A lot of great stuff like the piece on Brandon Marsh, but uh, a lot of good podcasts, I believe, came out today. Um, over on Fangraphs.com, you can go check out with images, all kinds images of images. Now. And our our big thing this week is it's Prospects Week, which means yes. Wednesday to tomorrow. Or you got catchers up today, right? Yeah. Uh, top 100 global prospect list comes out on Wednesday, 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Eastern. Set your clocks. I'm probably here this after it comes out but whatever um but yeah uh, we got tons of other stuff for prospects week we'll have our uh dan zaborski will do his zips projections for the top 100 we'll have uh 2023 picks to click guys we think might show up on next year's list we'll have uh our our uh, guy david La- david laurel has been doing a lot of great interviews he had one with mike elias yeah we have just one with red sox amateur scouting director paul taboni that's up today that went up Tuesday. We'll have one with Grayson Rodriguez that come out at some point this week, probably the number one pitching prospect in baseball at the moment. So definitely come on over during Prospects Week. It's our big week. We, we do all the Prospects stuff. Come come support all the Prospects stuff. And like us, or like the rest of you, we're just hoping the lockout ends soon because, boy, once uh, once you get into late February, early March, and there's no actual baseball to talk about, it's going to get a little grim. <laughs> Oh, man, this podcast, I, I'm just going to, you know, what we'll do if we're still at that point, I will get a soundboard and I'll just have the Twin Peaks soundtrack playing in the background throughout that works. the whole podcast. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. I can get behind that. Get very David Lynchian on this podcast. Yeah, let's, let's get weird. Let's get experimental. Why That's, not? Why not? John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time. And I will talk to you next week. My pleasure. Right, we're back here on the Chase Owens podcast part two where okay James um James Hams is here and James I look back um when I reached out to you about coming on this week um you and I first did a podcast in 2014 eight years ago eight years ago wow yeah Isn't that I, crazy that is totally crazy I think I started uh the Cowbell Kingdom podcast in mm-hmm. 2011 Okay. Um, so I've had a podcast. There was a year where NBC decided I was no longer allowed to have a podcast, even though I was on the podcast <laughs> task force for NBC. And mm-hmm. I'm the one who brought that podcast to them. And then every insider had to have a podcast because of my podcast. Anyway, uh, I digress. Um, there was a point where they decided during the pandemic that there weren't enough people, you know, engaging and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like a 10 months Bert, where I didn't have a podcast, which I missed it horribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the King's Beat podcast is back, and um, that's my my new podcast, and it's going well. And I I love podcasting. Podcasting is the best. It is, and it's also something that I don't know if you feel like this, just being on the beat for as long as you have, and just covering the NBA. Because I know you're a big Oakland A's fan. I remember us talking back and forth about that. And I just wonder sometimes, do you feel the same where it's like my, I mean, I guess it's a little bit different for me because I'm covering a multitude of things and you're so inundated with Sacramento Kings basketball, but like, 
I'm trapped, man. I, I there's no like I cannot think about a life without podcasting and without the what I'm doing every day because my entire day, my entire weeks, everything in my life is just it revolves around this structure that I just have to have that it it would freak me out to no end to think about what my life would be like day to day without this thing that I have every single day. Yeah, you know, I don't think I could do it every day. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like doing long form. You know, I, I really do think podcasting is like replacing long form journalism uh, because people just don't want to sit. They don't have the patience to sit down and read. For some reason, they have patience to sit and <laughs> listen or sit and watch. Uh, mm-hmm. But they, they don't have it to read, which I, I blame like Twitter and social media for like cutting everything down into these little things. But I think the good thing about what I do is that uh, I use Twitter as my way of beat writing. Mm-hmm. Um and I use the King's Beat, which is a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's kind of like a Substack, it's Beehive. Um, but I use that to get my my writing, and I do mostly long form there because uh, because I can, because um, I don't need to do game recaps and stuff like that. I can do that on Twitter, mm-hmm. and then I use podcasts to tell stories and to like really dig into what's happening. And uh, I, again, I love it. And then I even started it on the King's Beat. We do. A happy hour so once mm-hmm. a month I, I have guests come in and all of my paid subscribers come in and we literally sit there and just i drink my guests drink <laughs> we it were it's all virtual and mm-hmm. it's a it's like a floating podcast of of uh like guests and it's all off the record and and mm-hmm. we have a good time so i i think it gives another avenue of podcasting and storytelling but then we go into again like off the record stuff stuff that we know that we're not going to write or you know, that we, we normally maybe wouldn't talk about. Yeah. That's cool. What is your, uh, what is your go-to drink? What is your, what is James Ham's favorite, uh, alcoholic beverage? Um, I love a good old fashioned. Okay. Um, I've got a lot of different whiskeys here right now. Uh, probably, I have probably eight or nine different whiskeys. Um, I love a good dirty martini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm a Pinot drinker. So no I have, beer. In my in my bar, I have uh, Newcastle Brown Ale, and I have okay. uh, I have Blue Moon on tap. Mm-hmm. Like so, I have both of those on tap. But then my bar, uh, like most of the time, that's for for guests. Yeah. I, I don't drink a ton of beer just because mm-hmm. I. But you have I it on tap. So oh, you yeah. got a keg going over here. I like this. Yeah, I've got uh, a mini kegerator with two mm-hmm. two of the like five liter and a seven liter. I think. That's Maybe cool, a man. Five gallon and a seven gallon. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I have no idea how I'm going to transition to the kings from this. Like, <laughs> I, I I've done a thousand plus podcasts, and I'm not sure if I can make this transition. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway because James, you've got a game to cover tonight, and you're over there in the the previous time zone. You're you're way away. Like, you've got all the time in the world. My day is wrapping up here, and you you still got other things going on. Uh, you're a busy guy, so. Let's hit on Marvin Bagley. I want to start here because my question okay. to you, James, why this is going to be a loaded question, but as someone who's plugged in and um, watched a lot of Marvin Bagley basketball and has been around the team for as long as you have, why did it not work out for Marvin Bagley in Sacramento? Why was there stuff so early on, kind of similar to Zion with what we're seeing this week with the Pelicans, um, that's just becoming uh, terrifyingly more the norm for young players uh in the league but why why did it not work out for marvin bagley in sacramento 
Um, okay, so I would say three things. Number one, expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, like the expectations of being the number one, I mean, the number two pick in the draft is really high. The fact that he was taken in front of Luca and Trey, uh, like heightened those expectations and he was never able to live up to that. I would say injuries, um, especially, I mean, he never really got a chance to string enough games together where you really had a good feel for who and what he is. Um, and then lastly, um, I'll say this, like parents have become an issue, like, Mm -hmm. and and for him, it became a huge issue. And Hmm. so I'm going to say excuses. So there's always someone else to blame. There's always some reason why you haven't reached your potential. Um, someone, so-and-so won't pass you the ball. Uh, like it was always something, this coach is not good for my kid. Um, it was always something. And in the end, uh, it was just excuses. So I'd say expectations, injuries, and excuses. And um, you end up with, like, really, uh, he's a good young kid. I hope he works it out. But, um, you know, the further away he can get from his his dad and, and him being a, a force in whatever community that he's in, the better for them. Did you know pretty early on that this was not going to be a, a long-term uh, great situation for Bagley and the Kings? Yeah, it was probably right around January in his rookie season when his dad was calling um, Dave Yeager, Coach Yogurt, on uh, social media in the middle of games. Um, yeah, it's just, again, like I, like I coached my son for a long mm-hmm. time in soccer, and the last thing I ever did was go to a coach and tell him to play my son. You mm-hmm. either you earn your own way. Once you're there, you earn your own way. I'm going to get you there. We're going to be there on time. You're going to. I'll work with you on being better as a player, mm-hmm. but you need to earn your own way. And uh, like it's just been a problem from the beginning. Like excuses from the family and stuff like this. So I wish him the best. I, I really hope for for him that he gets a full reboot because um, he is very very talented. It's just it, it takes more than talent to succeed at the NBA. And I, some players and some families, they just don't get that. It takes a lot more than talent to compete. Do you think the coaching staff, ownership, and the front office were all on the same page with the Bagley pick at number two at the time? N- no, not necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Vlade, uh, has, he said that he didn't feel like uh, Doncic would work with Fox and like, I I'll take him face value. Like I've had plenty of conversations. I don't, there wasn't some like weird issue with his dad. Um, mm-hmm. well, like what we've heard reported. I know Vlade knows his parents for sure. Um, knew his father and all that stuff. I know that the Kings also knew like what he was like off the court mm-hmm. and they were a little leery about that. Um, and so, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they believed that they were getting a player that was going to be 20 and 10 and fit Fox perfectly. And even if you look around, like there almost still isn't a better like fit player. If Marvin would have lived up to who he should have been, mm-hmm. um, maybe, maybe John Collins, but again, Marvin Bagley should have been able to be John Collins, uh, and just never develop because of the injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's a hard fall for, for Marvin to go, you know, to Detroit hopefully it works out for him but um yeah I knew we knew pretty quick that he wasn't going to fully live up to his potential but you always thought it, it even if it was like his 14 and a half and seven and a half that he averaged for the first three years of his career it's like okay well that's serviceable at least and that's not sort of where we ended up 
you mentioned John Collins there. Um, as an Atlanta guy and as someone who watches every Atlanta Hawks basketball game and very familiar with uh, the, it, it's just so funny because this was another reason I wanted to have you on is because our teams were uh, inextricably linked uh, this trade deadline. There was Harrison Barnes. There was Buddy Heald. There, like we got Bogdan Bogdanovich, like he, the history there. Um, for whatever reason, the Kings and the Hawks have a lot in common as of late and they they want each other's players. And then I was pushing the Harrison Barnes train and I really wanted Harrison in this locker room in Atlanta. I didn't want to give up John Collins for it, but I did want Harrison Barnes in this locker room because um, it just what I've seen from him and just betting on DeAndre Hunter to stay healthy has been something that I've pushed back against for two years now. Um, the Hawks traded up for him. I understand that. But quickly, you see this with, I mean, you see this happen quickly in the NBA where the pick sounds so great in theory. And Cam Reddish was an amazing theoretical player and it hurt to move on, but there was no trade value for him. And then you look at the DeAndre Hunter stuff. I'm not sure the trade value around the league was great for him. But then you look at John Collins where I was like, the trade value seemed pretty high and that they were able to at least have back and forth with Daryl Morey about Ben Simmons for John Collins in a package or like that, where I was like, okay, John Collins is like the kind of player where if you don't watch Atlanta Hawks basketball games or you don't keep up with the behind the scenes of the Atlanta Hawks, you have no idea how important this player is. And he would have been so great for Sacramento to have in that locker room. And that dude just plays winning basketball every single night. And I just I didn't really understand the fit where I was like, I don't really know what the Kings could offer. Like, how did you like the potential fit of John Collins with De'Aaron Fox and with this group? Because you mentioned that he actually did make a lot of sense with De'Aaron but it probably would have cost Halliburton and then Halliburton gets traded anyway. And I'm like, if we could have done John Collins for Tyrese Halliburton, and then we run with a Trey young and Halliburton future for the next couple of years. I, I don't know. I I'm not against that. I, I could talk myself into that. Cause I didn't know Tyrese Halliburton was on the table. I'm throwing a lot at you, James, but that's where my head's at with this team. It's just, it's, it's been a lot that I've been thinking about with these two teams. What do you make of all that? Yeah, so I think, first of all, John Collins is perfect next to De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is that in that draft that Kings passed on on Collins a couple of times, um, they had the number 10 pick. They traded the number 10 for 15 and 20, where they took uh, what Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. They could have just taken him or Donovan or Bam Adebayo at, at number 10. Um, they could have taken Collins or Kuzma at 15 and 20 and had their forwards for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Um, just really blew that entire draft out after the De'Aaron Fox pick. Um, Collins, because of his ability to stretch the floor, his ability to play in the pick and roll, his ability to rebound, I think he would be absolutely perfect. And and even now with Sabonis in Sacramento, I still dig the fit. John Collins as a floor spacer, John Collins as a back cutter, uh, John Collins as a secondary rebounder next to Sabonis. I think that they would absolutely flourish in the way that they can pace. Uh, they, they can run the floor. Um, Sabonis's ability to rebound and then take off on the break and lead the break. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And when you got Fox and if you had someone like John Collins running alongside him, I think that that would just be a really exciting brand of basketball. I'm not sure about the the defensive side of the ball. I think that would probably be a I mean, he's bit a good defender. A, he's yeah. a good plus defender. And I think I like, like you said, with the defensive fit, I mean, he plays with Capella a bunch. I mean, it's not like John Collins is our stretch five who gets the majority of the minutes at that five yeah. spot. He plays with non-shooter bigs a lot of the game. <laughs> Yeah, I like, uh, well, the Kings are going to need to find a shooting big They to mm-hmm. go with Sabonis for sure. Unless you're going to move Harrison Barnes over there full time. I thought that there was a possibility 
that maybe the Kings would would offer up something like Harrison Barnes and a number one in exchange for Collins uh, to save a bunch of money uh, for the for the Nets moving forward. Um, Harrison's under contract next year at 18 million bucks. Uh, first round pick is going to get you gold, especially Kings first round pick. I just thought that the package there probably would have worked out, especially with how the money is going to get super tight in Atlanta yeah. here anytime. And so oh, it is I, now. No, yeah. it's, it, it's now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is too. And I think mm-hmm. Harrison's also a guy that is probably going to listen uh, for a, a contract extensions this summer. You know, could you get him for a for a three year forty eight million to tack onto his eighteen million? Probably. And he's mm-hmm. going to be a really solid player. What I like about Harrison, too, just I think he would be perfect for your locker room. Um, but he's such a pro's pro. He's so good in the community. Um, him and his wife, Brittany, are just like spectacular human beings that really, really do make a difference. They teach. He teaches young players how to take care of their body. Uh, just absolutely like immaculate care of his body. He's always ready to play. And he's a guy that the the good thing about him is he doesn't ask for more all the time. He's okay filling whatever role that he sees that's needed. And, and you know, if you need him to score more, he can score more. If you need him to rebound more, he can do that. If you need him to pass more like last season, he averaged three and a half assists a game. So I think he just, he's so versatile, played the three and the four. He can shoot the three. He can get to the basket. He gets to the free throw line at a crazy clip and he hits them. Uh, really, he has been impressive. Uh, outside of like there's a stretch of games after like the first 10 where he had injured a foot and really took him a while to get back to full strength. But yeah, I, I think he would have been good in Atlanta. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he looks like next to Sabonis and Fox, uh, at least next season. So do you think he's part of the long-term plans now? Do you think the fact that he stayed on, do you think that they will work to, I mean, extend him and to figure out something like you just laid out in the 348 range? Do you think Monty McNair prioritizes uh him with this group now that healed and Halliburton are both gone because I don't know I don't really see the reason to just simply move on from Harrison Barnes if you don't have to like you said because I mean he's just such a great dude off the court and he's a great dude on the court and I just you don't those glue guys for a lot of folks who just don't keep up with it like you just don't want to let those pros pros go especially with the team that's fighting to get into the playoffs and with someone with the kind of history that Harrison has I just I don't see why you would you would move on from him at this point yeah, I think the Kings, in a perfect world, they'd be able to retain Harrison going mm-hmm. forward. Um, the key for Sacramento, when you trade for a guy like uh, DeMontis Sabonis, mm-hmm. is you know he's got two years, which means, realistically, you have next season to prove that he's a landing spot forever. And so I expect the Kings to do everything centered not towards this year and this year's plan, but towards next year and building like a sustainable winner that makes DeMontis Savonis want to sign a massive extension in the summer of 2023. And so I really do think that like Harrison Barnes, the Kings don't need less Harrison Barnes. They need one more of that type of player. So mm-hmm. like, it's so rare to find a guy who is like a 15, 16, 17 PER guy who can play 35 minutes a night and can play multiple positions and can hold that level almost every game almost every night and can give you exactly what you need uh, at either the three or the four. And so like the Kings need one more. So whether that's a guy like John Collins or it's a guy like, um, I don't know, Jeremy Grant, they need Mm -hmm. another guy that can hold withstand that, like that clip, that high end clip of, you know, a, a league 
league average plus player, but a league average plus player at 35 minutes, not not one of those guys that can do these amazing things in 18 minutes of action, um, you know, off the bench against second team guys, but a real mm-hmm. honest to goodness guy that can go in there and, and grind for you. Yeah, I'm so fascinated to see what uh, this offseason looks like. What do you what do you think now that you just saw Monty McNair make a big move? Like he is now reshaping this team to be what he wants it to be. And they were linked to, like you said, John Collins. They were linked to Jeremy Grant. They were linked to different guys. Um, Buddy Heald and um, Tyrese Halliburton now out the door in Indiana. Sabonis, like you said, big year next year is making sure that this is going to work, that him and De'Aaron Fox are now the cornerstones and that we need to see what this looks like over the course. Like they need to win. But at the same time, the Kings, I mean, they're, they're pretty far back at the moment, but with 20 plus games to go, like they could still make the play in. Like, I think they're still going for it. And if they do, I wonder how much that changes their calculus. If they get hot and this looks really good down the stretch um, of what they do this summer. But from your estimation, what, uh, what are you most excited about seeing with Fox and with Sabonis and what, uh, why does that fit uh, make sense to you? And why do people who were like, Whoa, did they really swap, uh, Tyrese Halliburton for uh, DeMontis Sabonis. Like, why does why is there reason for optimism um, between those two? Um, I, I think the biggest thing is like, look, Halliburton is incredible. Like, mm. to talk to him every day in media sessions and stuff. He's not just really good on the court; he's really good off the court too. He, mm. he really is a gem. And what I like about his game. Um, is that he gets a lot of people involved. He's so good in the pick and roll. He's so good at finding guys on the perimeter. Um, the the hard thing was, though, is that him and Fox never really gelled. Um, and while they like each other a lot, they just never really found that sort of like relationship on the court that made sense. It was almost like they were taking turns as opposed to working together. And even when Halliburton would break someone down off the dribble, rarely did he find Fox. Um, even when Fox, you know, attacks the rim, rarely does he find Halliburton. They didn't really make each other better, and Halliburton makes everyone better, but I think Sabonis makes everyone better in a different way. And when you have a big man that can make everyone better and can really be the center of the universe, but not at the top of the key, like in the middle somewhere, um, I, I think that that has an, a, a, a different effect. And I believe Sabonis will completely unlock De'Aaron Fox. The question is, can Fox unlock Sabonis? Can he become the teammate to Sabonis that Sabonis is to him? And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I want to see over the final 22 games. Can these guys really, I think they can coexist, but um, can they figure out how to play off each other all day long? Like in a Stockton Malone type of way, um, just because I really do think Fox's speed, his you know his ability to get to the rim, his mid-range jump shot has been so good this season. Um, like the two of them together, uh, really do. They're just super intriguing. Both lefties, uh, they both like working on the left side. Um, it, to me, I, I think if they can figure out a way to insert maybe four or five plays down the stretch here, little bits at a time, that you can see Fox average. I don't know. I, I'm going to guess he's going to average between 26 and 30 the rest of the season. And I, I think he'll do that without a problem. And and that's because he's really talented, but also because I think Sabonis just takes that much pressure off you. It's going to be interesting. It also kind of just evens out their, their lineup a little bit more. It kind of just 
adds like they were just so top heavy like you said they just needed these wings they needed they were just a weirdly put together team this year like they were a team that i looked at before the season i'm just like i don't i like a lot of these guys and they were just a sneaky older team than people realized where people were talking about the kings like that i'm like they're really not like buddy healed harrison barnes deer and fox like you go up and down the list like it's just it's not as young as you might think. Just go through the roster and it's that because Marvin Bagley is not a part of this <laughs> this main rotation. It's not a bunch of young guys. This is a team that actually should be um, in the playoffs in that 7-8 range based on how they're built. Um, but I'm I'm just so curious to see what happens. Another thing I'm curious about, do you think Alvin Gentry is the head coach of the Sacramento Kings next year? That's a tough one. I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, Alvin definitely has um, he has incentives built into uh, the contract that they gave him when they bumped him up from uh, the lead assistant to the interim coach. So if he reaches specific milestones, then he he gets his uh, head coaching salary for next season. I would say that like the trade deadline probably. It probably changed a lot of things in Sacramento. It gave, number one, it gave Alvin an, an outside opportunity to go chase down the number 10 spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it messed up their roster, their their rotation pretty substantially. And he's got to kind of pick up all the pieces and put it back together again. Um, mm-hmm. But the problem that he has, that I think that the Sabonis trade bought Monty McNair like two years. I, I really do. I think that we all sat there and waited for him to uh, to do something right for like 18 months and it was nothing like the the biggest thing he was known for was not matching the contract with Atlanta on Bogdan Bogdanovich um you know he lost out on the DiVincenzo trade uh the the Wizards swooped in and stole his buddy healed for um Kuzma and Montrez Harrell trade like there were all these things that he almost did but hadn't really done so he drafted Halliburton and Davion Mitchell both solid um, I'd even say that Halliburton is even more than solid. Halliburton just got you a two-time All-Star, 25-year-old center. So he that was a really good draft pick uh, mm-hmm. by McNair. Um, but I think when you buy a GM two years at a minimum, that Monty should get to choose his own guy this summer. And if Alvin's that guy, that's fine. But I'm going to guess that Monty McNair has had his sights on someone else. And that's not to say that, like, we won't be having this discussion. It won't be Alvin or it won't be Doug Christie. Um, but I think that McNair probably has his eyes set somewhere else. And we'll see how it goes this summer. But there are a lot of good, you know, coaches that are waiting in the wings right now that I think the Kings would like to chase. Guys that are defensive-minded but still have some offensive, um, you know, so sort of push. Uh, they want to play with pace, but I think they believe that they can play with pace with the group they have without even really having a lot of coaching on the offensive end. Uh, what they do need is someone who can handle the defensive end of the, uh, of the court where they've been one of the worst, well, two years in a row. This year, I think they're uh, number 29. Last year, they were number 30 in defense. And you got to join the party. Fix that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, join the party. I mean, if you want to watch something fun, uh, just watch the the Atlanta Hawks trying to defend with Trey Young and uh, company on the floor for extended tr- stretches. It's a it's a fun thing sometimes. Uh, thank thankfully, Anyaka and Kong will exist because that man is going to be a lot of fun for a long time. Very much enjoy his play, but we'll see. Um, how much is uh, Vivek Ryanive still uh, involved with day to day? Is it still is it Monty McNair's show or is it some? Is he still running a lot by Vivek? Um, well, I mean, in Sacramento, there's like levels to the, to the Mm -hmm. insanity. So it's not just Vivek, (laughs) but 
you know, Vivek has Joe Dumars there. Yeah, um, I forgot which, about that. Yeah, to be honest, I, I do too sometimes because yeah. we've never been allowed to speak to him once in two and a half years, ever. Whoa. He's never he's never spoken to the media once. Have um, you seen and, him around? Yeah, he he walks by. He'll say hi when we're like in our waiting room. Uh, we yeah, need to go on the practice facility floor. Um, but he's not but, talking. No, he doesn't talk at all. So I think the one good thing is after the trades, they held a press conference. Um, there was one big long table on a gigantic stage set up, <laughs> and there was only one microphone, and that microphone was for Monty McNair. So to me, that showed like, look, this was Monty's decision. Monty's going to stand by it. This is uh, Monty's team moving forward, and the noise needs to stop. Now, I don't think that's ever going to be the case. I think Vivek is always going to be someone that wants to be involved in every single decision. But that doesn't mean that Monty didn't become the most powerful voice in the room. And that's kind of where I I look at this. Uh, You know, it was hard to trade away Halliburton. And I know a lot of people, you know, we've heard the Woj report that teams around the league were just shocked that Halliburton was made available. Everyone was available. Everyone knew that the entire time. Every single Kings player was available all the way from mid-December on when they were a complete train wreck. And for anyone to really say that, the only thing I would respond with is, um, which one of you were willing to give up a two-time all-star center that's 25 years old and take back Buddy Heald's contract and not demand a first-round pick? Like, I know Halliburton's a good young player, but this People was... talked about him as if he was just future first-team All-NBA, and I just, I don't think, like, I, I think people are a little off. It was like that combination of people were clearly not familiar with what DeMontis Sabonis actually does on a basketball court and just how good he actually is as a player right now versus like what Halliburton's actual ceiling is. Like there was like this weird disconnect where they, I I just, it was clear who watches the Pacers and who watches the Kings and just, I don't know that that is what I'll say on that is there was a clear disconnect between the two. I'll say this too. I don't think anyone and the national mm-hmm. media watches the Sacramento Kings or the Indiana Pacers. Mm-hmm. They don't watch them at all. Um, I know my good friend Sam Amick is at Kings games all the time. He watches Kings games. I know that Mark's, uh, Mark Spears is at Kings games a lot because he lives down in Oakland and takes uh, the train up or drives up. Um, so, But outside of that, like a lot of these guys, they don't pay any attention. Like I know J.J. Redick has a love affair with with Tyrese Halliburton because he goes on the old man and the three all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that that's great, and that that speaks volumes about the type of character that you'll you you're getting in Tyrese Halliburton. But at the same time, like I think he's got a really high ceiling, and I think he's going to be an excellent player. You jumped forward like two or three years in your your rebuild in Sacramento by trading for Sabonis. And sure, are you risking something because he could leave in free agency in two years? Yeah, but he also like just was over the moon excited about being in Sacramento. It's a beautiful city. He's going to love the weather. His wife's from California. At hmm. the press conference the day after the trade, his wife rolled up with like 12 people in the back of the room <laughs> for the trade. So they're mm-hmm. not just from California. They're actually from California. They're all here. It's like they jumped on a party bus and came to the arena. Um, so I really do think that uh, like it could be a great long-term pairing. And Sabonis is your centerpiece. I know uh, you know people have talked to Larry Bird, and he's like, I, he would have never traded Sabonis. He thought that the the Pacers should have built around him and, and traded everyone else. Huh. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, like, look, you got to do something bold. And and if you're the Kings, 
you have to give up something to get something. And that something was uh, a really, really intriguing young player, but an intriguing young player that had yet to really show exactly who he was, averaging like 14.3 points and seven assists a game. Uh, Very impressive, very impressive young man. uh, But you just can't, I mean, this is year 16 of no playoffs in Sacramento. You can't just continue to be bad and think that, you know, hold on to your players that you value so much when you know there's a two-time 25-year-old all-star waiting to step in and make your team better. Absolutely. Um, we'll end on this, um, James. So what uh, what do you think ends up happening here, the final the final home stretcher? Do you think they make the play-in? Not the playoffs, because it's just going to be a crapshoot once you get into that little, uh, that short tournament. It's, I don't, it, it's just hard to say. I mean, the Hawks are in this boat where I'm like, I had to guess right now. I think the Hawks make the plan, but I don't think they make the playoffs. Like the Nets are right there at the eight spot. You have the, like they're not winning a one game play like against KD and company. Like that is just not happening. Um, I don't know, which makes Atlanta. I'm James. You heard this from me as someone else who uh, covers a team and watches a team that nobody else in the national media watches at all. If the Hawks do not make the playoffs and they uh, like just the summer of explosion that is going to happen in Atlanta, because Travis Schlink was on Atlanta radio just pouring his heart out uh, before the trade deadline a few weeks back of just being like, I just I maybe I made a mistake uh, bringing everybody back and just doing everything he did. And then they want, went on the winning streak. DeAndre Hunter was back. Things look great. Guess what? Winning streaks end. And when you dig that kind of hole, guess what? The hole still props back up because every game matters in an 82-game season, even if it doesn't in game 14. They all matter. Shout out to the wire. All the pieces matter. And I just, I am excited for it because our teams are in the same spot. And I, I think both situations matter a lot to both franchises. But what do you, what do you think ultimately ends here? Do you think they make the plan? Man, they're going to make a run at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did all the the glancing over their win, uh, their like remaining strength of schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very difficult schedule. I, I think they're uh, the Pelicans are number five most difficult, and the Kings are number six, and Portland's like 29th. Um, but I think at some point Portland is going to pull everyone back. Like they're going to say, say Portland doesn't want it. <laughs> no, they don't want it. And they're going to say, Hey, uh, Simon's, you just mm-hmm. rolled your ankle. He's going to be like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you just rolled your ankle. Go sit down. Mm-hmm. Like at, at a certain point, that's going to happen because they don't want to be there. And I don't think the Spurs want to be there. And I think when you look at the teams that do want to be there, it's the Kings and the Pelicans. I don't know. The Pelicans have enough juice. I like the Kings roster better than the Pelicans. Um, and, and I want to see how it finishes. But four games in the loss column with 22 games left is not easy to make up. I got the Kings went in between like 10 and 12 games, and that would put them right around 32 to 34 wins. Probably is in the running to get in. Um, but the other thing is, like, if you do get in, like those the the Lakers are going to be there, and like you talked about the Nets, you talked like. I'm okay playing the Lakers. I'm okay playing some of these teams that just really on paper um, aren't nearly as good as, well, I mean, in reality, aren't nearly as good as they are on paper. You know, the Clippers. And it's also with, just a Lakers team without probably Anthony Davis. Like that, is, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I Like I, in a one game matchup with Sabonis and Fox and a healthy Kings team versus just LeBron and the Lakers. I mean, 
the Kings have battled them hard every single time they play the last couple of years. And yeah, so so look, I don't know what's going to happen here. I hope that happens. You just sold me on this. The Kings Lakers history, a play in spot. Oh, my goodness. How the mighty have fallen with LeBron James in that situation and the Kings getting the ultimate revenge. I I just does. uh, Does Gentry get a Gatorade bath for that kind of victory? Of course he does. Of course he does. Yeah. So I think I think they're going to go for it. But even if they do make it, because the mm-hmm. West is so weak this year, mm-hmm. they're still like looking at the number nine spot in the in the lottery. Like even if you make the play in, so yeah. there's no reason not to go for it. Uh, at this point, they're the sixth. Uh, they have the sixth worth worst record in the league. Um, that's not a bad spot to be in, but it, to me, it's kind of a four man draft. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, the Kings are looking to get uh, get good quick which means that that's just that asset. It could be worth more if it's in the top four, mm-hmm. um, but it would really have to be like top two, top three in order for them to not seriously consider going after some big name player and, and trying to reset their roster a different way. So um, yeah, uh, hold on to your, uh, your John Collins closely. Cause uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt the Sacramento Kings are going to, especially if they got a top 10 pick and, you know, Rashawn Holmes and uh, some other players that they can work with, um, you know, maybe two man, two team, three team trade. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they come after uh, John Collins again. Man, uh, just I would love to be in the room uh, when you explain to Trey Young this summer uh, why you went from an Eastern Conference finals team to a not playoff team in back to back seasons. Uh, I would just to be a fly on that wall to be there for what uh, what that will look like because just have defensive just... sequences playing all around the room with him in them all the defensive sequences that he didn't do well in. and then he'll be like here's my usage rate and here's what happens when i leave the court here is what happens uh to this team um yeah no yeah. trey is not the problem someone i like look luca will always haunt me to some extent in atlanta but trey young is a top 10 player in this league and it the Hawks are not in the play-in situation because of Trey Young. There is a myriad of other reasons, and it's not uh, Trey Young. Um, all right, man. Well, this has been amazing. I appreciate you making the time uh, this evening, James. What can the good folks check out from you this week at the Kings Beat and everywhere else? Yeah, I mean, you can fi- follow me on Twitter at James underscore Ham NBA. Um, you can follow the Kings Beat, which is where I do all of my writing. Uh, you can also get all your podcasting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast is up wherever uh, you you listen to your podcast, the Kings Beat Podcast, and uh, we also have a YouTube channel that's like just we just started like I want to say like six weeks ago or almost two thousand subscribers. We're like there you go. We're we're growing, we're growing quick, and it's been a lot of fun to sort of reinvent myself after many years working for someone else. Um, and then. If you're uh, around Sacramento and you want to, or you can stream it as well, but ESPN 1320, I'm on my Monday, Wednesday, Fridays and, and talk Kings and actually a lot of sports, a lot of sports on, on uh, the radio. So it's fun. There you go. Well, all the, the best of luck, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. And I'm, I'm glad that this is still working out and you've got the best setup like room Raiders. If you're looking for uh, a new room to, to look at and to, edit this is it right here i mean the man's got just the perfect podcast video landscape and i'm quite jealous quite jealous um james ham thank you as always for the time let's not make it uh, as long as it's been since we last checked in let's let's do it again soon yeah let's do it 
All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you again to James Ham of the Kings Beat and also uh, John Taylor of Fangrass.com for coming on this edition of the podcast, the Wednesday, February 23rd edition of the Chase Most Podcast. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter if you've not already done so. Um, also, if you like listening to today's episode and our conversations, please do make sure you leave this episode a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, also, feel free to email me with any questions or anything of the sort, Major League Baseball, NBA, anything of that for future mailbag opportunities, uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to go to check out uh, com. access to all of my previous episodes over there and everything else that you'll need to learn about the show. Uh, also, we're on YouTube. Go uh, check us out on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, the Chase Thomas Podcast. Like it, thumbs up, share it out. All that good stuff. Uh, it would help greatly as we get this thing moving on the video front. Also, uh, daily writing at the daily newsletter. So, Sports Renaissance Man, that's me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type your email, that simple, in your inbox every single day. And uh, yeah, make sure to give me a follow on twitter.com, uh, chase double underscore Thomas on Twitter, and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas Writer. All right, that'll do it for this edition. New episode tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.